Welcome to the Better Humans podcast, where each episode we dive in with an author from the Better Humans publication and discover advice and insight that actually works. To learn more about the articles we discuss, visit betterhumanspodcast.com or simply Google Better Humans. Now together, let's dig in and all become better humans. Hey guys, hope you're all doing wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm really excited to share today's episode with you. I interview an amazing guy. His name is David Kirkpatrick. He's a incredible storyteller and just a really, really special guy. At one point in his life, he was the chief of production at Walt Disney Pictures and Touchstone Pictures at the same time, which is, that is nuts. Uh, But I was given the opportunity to have him on the podcast to discuss an article that he wrote for Better Humans, and uh, it's just received tremendous feedback since it was published, and I will link to the article in the show notes, so definitely go check it out. It is called How to Master Intentional Dreaming for a Satisfying Life. If you've never heard of intentional dreaming, you're in the same boat I was in prior to reading this article and interviewing uh, David. So I know that sounds a little bizarre, but give it a listen, give it a shot. Basically, David has a method for uh, trying to help you to influence what you dream about at night, which is really interesting. And he thinks some really powerful, he thinks that it can have some really powerful results. And it's been so successful for him in his life uh, as he has used this method and this approach that it's hard to argue argue with him, I guess. So it's probably definitely worth trying. I'm going to give it a shot, and uh, I hope you do too. I hope you guys love this episode. I literally could not have enjoyed my conversation with David anymore. He is a awesome guy. We talk about the time that David cold called Walt Disney and what came out of that. And by the way, I'm not talking about cold calling the Walt Disney Company. I'm talking about when David was like 12 years old, he cold called Mr. Walt Disney. And uh, how insane is that? And you guys won't believe what uh, what comes out of that story. And of course, um, we talk a ton about why he thinks intentional dreaming is so effective. And we spent about the last third of the interview learning the actual method for intentional dreaming and how to do it, and we really dig into the weeds. So I hope you guys love this. Let me know what you think. I've talked enough here, so let's dig in. Here is my interview with the incredible David Kirkpatrick. Welcome to the Better Humans Podcast, David. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm on a farm here in Massachusetts. Ah, awesome, awesome. That's incredible. So you are, I've done a lot of research uh, preparing for this. You are an incredibly accomplished uh, person, currently the president at the Closeburn Learning Trust. But at one point, if I have this correct, you were the chief of production at Walt Disney Pictures and Touchstone Pictures at the same time. Is that right? Yes, that's oh, right. Oh, holy cow. Holy cow. So I wanted to have you on to talk about intentional dreaming. And, uh, but I guess I've read the article. I'm fascinated by it. But how would you describe intentional dreaming? What is this? Well, I think the easiest way to sort of wrap it up 
is that it's shaping an aspiration in your imagination before you sleep and then integrating it into the reservoirs of your unconscious before you dream. Okay. So in other words, it's really about fixing in your mind the way you would like the world to be and leaving that as kind of the last thing that you think about uh, before you go to sleep. And that's really what intentional dreaming is, and that's where all the great stuff happens. And this is something you use. Like, you've been incredibly successful. You've used this intentional dreaming in your life. Yes. I. Uh, and should I tell you a little story? Yeah. So when I was a, a kid, I wasn't into sports like my other brothers. I had four other brothers. Uh, I really liked movies. And, you know, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas, both of whom I worked with, once said that the only reason that they got involved in the movie business was because they were born into the middle class. And, you know, these were this was a long time ago. This was back in the 50s and the 60s. And so you couldn't pull out your cell phone and, and grab a selfie or grab a movie. You actually had to get a pretty reasonably priced uh, Super 8 or 8-millimeter camera. And so kids like Spielberg and Lucas, who were fortunate enough to be in the middle class, were able to get... Uh, uh, cameras in order to be able to, uh, uh, you know, exercise their imagination. Right, right. And and for me, uh, I had a little paper route, and I saved my money, and I really wanted to get a camera, and eventually I did. But what was intriguing to me and why I wasn't, you know, enamored with baseball or soccer or football, even though I played all those games, was there was something incredible about using your imagination and putting that onto a screen that was 100 feet tall. I remember in the movie theaters in the early days going every Saturday matinee and just seeing incredible worlds unfold. And it was all make-believe, but it's also part of intentional dreaming. And so I, you know, at night, I wasn't really aware of it at the time, Matt, but I started to intentionally dream because I kind of fixated on my hero, Walt Disney, who showed up on, you know, on Sunday night and and uh, hosted his wonderful world of Disney. Sure. And um, I was just captivated by the power of what he was able to provide for children all over the world, which was incredible stories that came to life in visual form. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so at night I'd lie in bed and I'd think about working with Walt Disney. And, uh, you know, would be working late at night. You know, he had a paper route in Kansas when he was growing up, and he talks about slogging through six-foot snow to get to the next door. And that's how I got my camera was through a paper route. So I found this kind of connection with him. And um, and uh, that's how Intentional Dreaming started. So I kind of ruined the story that you worked for um, the Walt Di- Walt Disney Pictures, but so you really dreamed to, like, at one point collaborate with, like, Walt Disney. Like, that was something you threw out in the universe? 
Yeah, yeah. And I think you can call it the universe. I think you can call it the cosmos. You, uh, you know, we'll get into a little bit about what Einstein talked about, spooky action at a distance, and what Carl Jung talked about in terms of synchronicity. But I don't think we're there yet. I think what was happening is um, that my dreamscape was sort of getting out there. And uh, I found that when Walt Disney got sick, and I only realized this because I asked my dad, where is he on Sunday night? And he said, oh, he's pretty sick and he's in the hospital. And so I I really don't know. It was beyond sort of instinct. Uh, I made a film with my brothers in the backyard and the girl from across the way, you know, Barbara Nelson. And it was about a prince and a dragon and a knight. And, (laughs) you know, and I thought it was pretty funny because the princess ended up with a dragon. But maybe that's not so unusual given Game of Thrones. But the thing is, at the time, I thought it was funny and I thought it would cheer up Mr. Disney. And so my dad worked with me and we talked to Peggy, uh, Walt Disney's assistant, and Peggy said, oh, send it to me. Now, this is a 12-year-old boy on the phone talking to, you know, the administrator for Walt Disney's office. And uh, she said, oh, I, I, I know there's an 8-millimeter projector in animation, so I'll take your film when I get it. You can send it to me, and I will take it to show Mr. Disney. That's amazing. And this is like, it's it's a pretty small and quaint world back then. And I think also because I was calling long distance from Ohio, you know, that had an effect on her. And um, so I sent the film. I sent it to Peggy. And... Um, and a couple of days later, she called to say that Mr. Disney had a good chuckle and thanked me very much. Oh, my gosh. And then, and then like a week later, I got a letter which said Walt Disney Studios. And inside was a handwritten note from Walt Disney. And I, you know, it was basically thanking me for the laugh and saying that, you know, uh, he was starting a college for, you know, talented people like me and that when I got old enough, uh, maybe the college would be ready and I should apply. Um, And that began my journey uh, because I did apply and, you know, six years later and I did get in, but I couldn't afford it. And sure enough, when I called the dean of admissions, they had found a letter in the file from, you know, in the Walt Disney Foundation that basically said if this kid applies and he can't afford it, you know, bring him in. Holy cow. So, you know, it's all, all so for me, that was kind of like, gee, it's right out of Jiminy Cricket. You know, when you wish upon a star makes no difference who you are. Wow. And, and so that really affected me. And I just continued to sort of apply this, what I call intentional dreaming into my life uh, uh, since then. So you. Uh, You've yeah. definitely done some dreaming, but you've had guts, too, to cold call Walt Disney and cold call the dean. Have you always had kind of a bias towards action like that? <laughs> of course, I don't see it that way. I just, 
you know, of course, man, I just see it as a way to connect. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I'm surprised today people don't really like to talk on the phone. Uh, I'm not a big phone talker myself, but, you know, it is one way to, uh, you know, to be in touch with uh, another human being. And, uh, but gosh, years later, and this is really the topper on this story, is, um, you know, after, you know, graduating at CalArts, which was a school that Disney created, um, several years later when I was in, when, when I was in Happy at, a, at Paramount, uh, I got an offer to become production chief for Walt Disney Studios. And son of a gun, if on the first day on the job, I was taken into... Um, my new office, and there was Walt Disney's old animation desk. In your office? In my office that I was to use, and I and I and I my my mind exploded. I said, "Gosh, you know, I'll, you know, this should be in a museum, not you know, with humble little me, you know, messing and marring up the surface of it." Uh, but that was the desk I used for several years when I was president of the studio. So that um, is that is incredible, David. You know, and 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 it, but it also speaks to the to the kind of the forward thinking of Walt Disney and 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 also believing that talent could come from anywhere in the world mm-hmm. and uh, because for him it came out of Kansas and for me you know it you know whatever I may be you know I, I did have some gifts in terms of being able to tell a story in the visual medium sure and uh, I was from Ohio so that's how it all kind of started for me and uh, and it's a practice that I've used uh, over four decades that have served me well and uh, and which I now speak about all over the world I speak all the time about intentional dreaming because uh, I really do believe that there is something uh, deep there. That's amazing. So I want to get into you outlined seven clear steps that you think people can implement to set themselves up to to use intentional dreaming. But first, to make sure people kind of understand, does it make sense that we talk about Freud's modeling of human consciousness for just a second? And if so... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because, I mean, honestly, Matt, and uh, uh, the fact of the matter is we as humans know very little bit, of, know very little about consciousness, uh, you know, uh, and, and consciousness has three layers. There's the conscious, there's the unconscious, and the subconscious. Now, you know, the conscious mind is our operating system. Uh, it directs us, it focuses us, it has our daily to-do list at the forefront of all our awareness, Interestingly, it's at the very top of our behavior, but it's not very deep. We don't use it that much because it relies on a great deal of the storage vault right beneath it. Okay. So the second level of consciousness is the subconscious mind, you know, and everyone's always talking about the subconscious mind and psychologists and psychiatrists, etc. But in that it contains our most recent memories and our feelings and the habits we rely on. You know, 
you you've driven a car sometimes sure. and barely remember that you were driving it because your mind is somewhere else? Sure. Well, that's basically your subconscious mind. In other words, um, we, we've had all these days when we step out on a car and remember a little bit about the drive because our subconscious is working on that because it knows all the steps. It knows all the tools. It knows how to, you know, gas the pedal and turn the wheel, etc. So that's our conscious and subconscious working together. And that's basically probably about 80% as far as we can know about our sense of behavior. And then we get to the subconscious, uh, excuse me, then we get to the unconscious mind. And that's, that's where the treasure trove is. You know, you know, I'm sure you've had an experience where you cry when someone tells a story and you don't know where that those tears are coming from. Sure. And that could be coming from the unconscious. And that's where our oldest memories reside. Hmm. And the unconscious is in the basement of knowing what the psychiatrists say, but it is often hard to get there without any easy access card. Memories are often kept in this trove because they are too painful or traumatic. Or it could also be we have just simply forgotten those moments. Okay. It's from these oldest moments that most of our beliefs, habits, and behaviors are formed. And that's why knowing oneself is so important because it's not just at the surface and it's not just in the storage tank. It's really also in the very deep reservoir of the unconscious mind. And so... So, yeah, go ahead, please. No, no, I interrupted. You go right ahead. I, no, no, no. If I'm not making any sense. Oh, no, you, you're I, making uh, complete sense. But, 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 you know, in broad terms, Matt, through intentional dreaming, we're looking to integrate all levels of consciousness while we are at rest. Okay. We are essentially wanting to master that complete consciousness. And so... I kind of look at it as, as you know, when you pour some pulpy fiber fruit juice and after a minute you turn around and uh, it's, it's all fallen into the sediment. Well, kind of what happens with intentional dreaming is you're putting, um, you know, a, a spoon in there and stirring it all up so that essentially the way you're dreaming you're dreaming in terms of your conscious mind because you're kind of acknowledging it. You're dreaming in terms of your subconscious and unconscious mind because you are, in a sense, willing it into your dreamscape for when you sleep. Hmm. That's and that's, I mean, a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that's coming out more and more in terms of quantum physics about really our reality is really in part the way we look at that reality. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, that's, kind of, that's kind of the way you set yourself in, which is to really, and by the way, it's not about necessarily, oh, I want to lose weight or, oh, I want to win the Oscar. It really can't be about that. It really has to be about at least in my experience, it has to be about the greater good, and you're involved with that greater good. 
if that's making any sense. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's not a, you know, oh, gee, I wish I could read, you know, 2,000 words a minute. It's mm-hmm. not that. It's really about I really want to make people happy. I really want to uh, uh, end poverty. I really want to uh, uh, find a way to uh, uh, be able to communicate with my community. It's uh, it's a selfless thing, I think. And so when I initially started to dream, you know, way back when, when I was 12 years old, it wasn't about, oh, I'm going to become president and, you know, production chief of, of, of Walt Disney. Mm-hmm. It was that instead I was going to have some fun and, and work with Walt and we're going to make some great movies that people are going to laugh and cry about. That's great. So that's kind of a, it's a kind of an empathetic view, I think, of, of stepping into your life. That's awesome. This is, this is fascinating. So I want to get into the weeds a little bit. So for people, people that want to put this in practice, they want to try this tonight. So you outlined seven steps. They seem fairly straightforward, but I'd love to dig into each one if, if you're game for that. Oh, absolutely, Matt. So first thing, you say acknowledge that imagination has power. So why do we do this? Well, like with anything, uh, uh, it's important to believe in what you're doing. And, you know, we as human beings, and that those Harari books, you know, Sapiens and Homo Deus are fantastic books. Mm -hmm. But basically, we are the only species that can see something that is not there and then make it happen. So we as sapiens have an incredible ability to imagine things that are not seen. And when you look around at this great, big, vast, beautiful and marred world that we're in, it's all because of the imagination of of, of people. You know, the ships, the temples, the buildings, um, you know, all the good and, you know, unfortunately, all the stuff that isn't quite working. And so it's hard not to believe that imagination has power because we have stepped into a world that is basically imagined by our ancestors. Okay, so you do that by just kind of, if you're laying in bed, you just simply acknowledge that imagination has power and just make sure your kind of spirit's open to that. Is that yeah, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's as simple as that. And then you say bring yourself into body calm. So what's body calm? Well, you know, we're there's a lot of noise in our world. And I, I always talk about body calm as being... Uh, moving away from the noise, making yourself at peace, turning off all that blue light, you know, your laptop and your phone and your iPad and everything else, and just trying to uh, be at peace with yourself. And I don't mean just in terms of your mind, but also in terms of your body to just kind of slow it down. We have a tremendous power over our body. And, uh, and, and really what we're trying to do is just make our mind and our body uh, feel restful and at peace. You do a breathing exercise to get into this uh, 
calm the state of calm or do you meditate or what do you do? Well, I, I, I think deep breathing is always really good, Matt. Um, that's a fantastic way to just take three or four breaths and just calm your body down. Uh, people have various meditative practices that they may use. It doesn't mean need to be a lot, but you're just kind of, you know, psychologically washing the day off yourself. And, I mean, some people even go and take showers or take a hot bath just to get yourself uh, rested and feeling good that uh, you're going to sleep and you're going to wake up to a new day. And, you know, all that kind of calm and vibrancy of, 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 of hitting the hay, and you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So then the third step, construct the aspiration in your consciousness and imagine it moving with you into your unconscious and subconscious reserves. Yeah, the easiest way I can kind of explain it is just imagine yourself constructing uh, an arrow and a bow. And whatever that is you want to do, I want to make people uh, be moved by my music. Uh, then all you're doing is you're constructing that in your mind, that, that, that feeling. And it really has got to be the feeling because that's, I mean, we wake up in the middle of the night in cold sweat because of the feeling sometimes of a nightmare. Uh, and, uh, so it's really, that's very, very important. And to try to keep it also without too much seriousness, even though you may have serious aspirations, but to try to be a little playful uh, about it. You know, I mean, you can imagine yourself in 20 years. You can think about uh, a different place you might be in 20 years. Uh, Anything to kind of mix it up and to get yourself into a place where you're once again, you know, five years old or 12 years old, you know, and the whole world is ahead of you. Right. And and so what you do with that construct then is what you've kind of formulated in your mind is that you imagine it, you know, releasing that bow, stretching back that arrow mm-hmm. and releasing that bow and then let, driving it essentially into what the unconscious and the subconscious world of yourself. Okay. And that's not just the mind, that's the body because, you know, we have embodiment, you know, a lot of the information that comes to us is through our senses, right. our sight, our smell, uh, our sounds. Uh, you know, it's not just the mind. I mean, our our body is filled with mindfulness. Mm-hmm. So what we're really trying to do is 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 take that 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 arrow and plunge it into ourselves. Um, it's the thought that we want to drive deep within. And, you know, you kind of will it to be. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth uh, step is go to sleep. So simple enough there. Should we, can I go right to the fifth step? Cause I have oh, some, yeah. some, some big questions coming up. Sure. So then you repeat this every night before sleeping. Essentially you, you do this process. That's the fit. That's the fifth step. Repeat every night before sleeping. And then I've got all kinds of questions. So the sixth is when compelled by an intuitive, is it affection act upon it? So it's, what does this mean? <laughs> well, 
You know, somehow when, you know, you well up in tears when somebody's telling a story, as we've talked about earlier, and you just don't know what, where it's coming from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if you've done uh, intentional dreaming enough on a particular aspiration, something is just going to spring out of you at some point, at some seemingly random moment where you're going to get a very warm and fuzzy feeling. It's almost like oxytocin has been completely released in your body and you're Mm -hmm. feeling really great and really warm because of something that you can do. Hmm. In my case, uh, you know, going back to that story about 12 years old, I thought, who am I? But I'm going to make a little movie in my backyard with my brothers and my next door neighbor, and I'm going to send it to Walt Disney, and he's going to make. I'm going to make him laugh. Mm-hmm. And so that was, in this case, that that notion of intuitive affection. Okay. Uh, and it's not really, you know, again, it's not about oneself, but it's about somebody else generally, an affection for an idea a person, uh, an experience that you somehow are then going to act on. And if you don't, you're, you're keeping yourself from a tremendous opportunity. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're not closing the link between your dreamscape and this thing that comes out of your dreamscape, which is, I'm going to act on it. Okay. I think that's your secret weapon. I think you're good at acting on these. Uh, <laughs> you're intuitive. You're, you're good at listening to your gut and intuition, huh? And then people have stopped calling me a madman. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and instead they say, oh, he's been pretty successful. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, so, yeah, talk about that. How important is it for action to act upon it? Um, uh, you know, I think it goes to, uh, you know, this, this kind of this deeper notion of, uh, which I can get into in, in a second, which is spooky action at a distance and synchronicity. Uh, it's important to tie your reality, you know, the exterior reality, uh, getting into our car, going to the office and then your interior reality of how you're feeling, how you're dreaming, what's that you know ticking inside of you that needs to get out. And somehow that little thing that pops up, and it can be a little thing. Uh, it can be you know planting a, you know a, a miracle. It could be uh, uh, you know picking up your dog out of the kennel. It could be any number of things that that has a warmth of spirit that just tumbles out of you. And you'll know it because you're a complete fool if you don't know it. Uh, And we weren't built to be fools. If you don't act upon it, do you think you, have you ever experienced, like say there's a time when you don't act upon it, do you think you could grow like frustrated or upset? Well, I, 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 I guess so. I guess so. Uh, but, you know, I'm not the good control group for that, Matt, come to think of it, because I always 
act on it in a reasonable fashion. Okay. In other words, it's not like, oh, what ho, and, you know, I'm just going to, you know, it's four, you know, four winds blowing. Uh, you know, it's got to take some form, and it's got to be within a dynamic that is that is uh, benevolent and it's not hurting anybody or and and it's uh, um, and and so not to act on it is not the way I've been sort of wired okay. so I always kind of I mean I may think about it it's not like I'm not impulse driven we know a lot of people who act on their impulse or only on their intuition this is not that this is something deeper uh, intuition is often wrong. You know, I read this great book by Richard Kahneman, who won the Nobel Prize in mathematics, about thinking fast and thinking slow. And you know, we're we're all gung ho about intuition, but often intuition is going to take us down the wrong road. Okay. Uh, this is something bigger and is not just left brain or right brain. It is really at a kind of, you know, I'll uh, use the word really loosely, uh, but a kind of a spiritual, you know, uh, sense, sense to it. Okay. And then the final step is let it go. Can you help me understand that? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, it, it's, again, kind of going back to the first point, which is your imagination has power. And since you've acted on something that's come deeply from your imagination and has probably done some measure of good, then you can your job is done. You can forget about it because it's already moving out there in terms of the exterior reality of your life. It's moved beyond your dreamscape because you acted on something that mm. swelled up from that dream. Mm. And uh, you can feel good. You can just forget about it. It may not, whatever you, uh, whatever you intended mm -hmm. uh, is going to most likely show up. It may not be that second or that hour, but it will show up and somehow you're not terribly surprised um, and you just move with the flow. People talk about the flow and that's really being in the flow. It's really, uh, what Vic, oh gosh, I mean, Henry David Thoreau, Victor Hugo have all talked about that kind of place of happiness where you're walking hand in hand with your dream and your reality. And uh, it's a great place to be, and, mm -hmm. and, and good things will come. Okay, so you go through this, you repeat this every night. How often in your experience of doing this nightly does number six come along where the in intuition, the affection, how long until that moment usually happens? Like a month or like a year or... Like. It generally seems to happen. And by the way, uh, I think, you know, you uh, you have this this aspiration uh, and eventually it's just going to sort of become second nature and or you're going to get bored with it. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the time. Just let it go. So that may be four nights. It may be 40 nights. But at some point, you'll just say, ah, forget about it. Okay. And then around that point, 
uh, yes, something will well up inside of you that you need to act upon. And Joe Campbell talks about it in, in all his writings, which is, you know, follow your bliss. That is the bliss. That is the thing that cannot be quantified. Yes, yes. And I'll link to some Joseph Campbell work in the show notes, guys, if you're unfamiliar. He's he's amazing. Um, so real quick, I know we're up against it time-wise, but there's a couple phrases you've mentioned throughout that um, I want to dive into. So spooky action at a distance, and you said synchronicity. You know, what are each of these and why are they important uh, in this context? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, spooky action at a distance is what Albert Einstein called a phenomenon he couldn't explain. It is when two particles are separated at a great distance. It could be thousands of miles. Despite the distance, when one particle is affected, so is the other. There is no connection to one another, but for a shared past. They could have these particles could have been separated, or they could be dual particles right next to one another. It really doesn't matter. The particles remain entangled, not only in retaining the same properties, but in the case of cause and effect. When one particle is altered in Chicago, the other is altered in Las Vegas. Physicists now call the spooky action by another name, quantum entanglement. So if you find yourself resistant to intentional dreaming as a practice, you know, because it seems irrational. Right, right, right. It may help you to recall the wonderful and seemingly paradoxical phenomenon of quantum entanglement, which we now have another name for, but which we do not understand. It doesn't make sense in our normal mundane way of sense making, but it nevertheless happens and it has nevertheless been proven in endless trials. Okay. So that's that notion at the end of the day, Matt, of of what you're affecting inside yourself is ultimately going to be a reality that you in part are going to step into. And that brings us around to Carl Jung's probably most profound and complex theory, which is the uh, synchronicity. Um, Basically, synchronicity is a theory that claims that the inner world of the psyche will affect your exterior world. If there is peace within, you will ultimately find peace around you. If you have internal trauma trauma within you, it will manifest in the exterior world as chaos. Um, Carl Jung said that the internal anguish within will affect the external reality in this phenomenon known as synchronicity. Okay. There are a lot of studies examining this, and you can find them in this great book, The Rupture of Time, uh, Synchronicity and Jung's Critique of Modern Western Culture by uh, Ph.D. Um, Roderick Mann uh, at the University of Essex. Um, but in synchronicity, our consciousness becomes entangled with reality, separated okay. only by the filter of the body. 
Okay. So if we train in intentional dreaming our consciousness to express ourselves in a particular way while dreaming, then our reality will reflect that consciousness. And when we take that first step to act upon the dream in the everyday world, which is what we talk about when we say intuitive affection, we begin the process that continues to develop in the real world and seems impossible to derail. Mm. So because we don't know that much yet still about consciousness, you know, my feeling to your listeners is to stay open about it mm-hmm. um, because we are learning new things every day. And as we all know, because we've been drilled into our heads, you know, since the beginning, we use very, very little of our mind. Um, and that's really the difference between ourselves and every other animal. Animals have brains. Humans have minds. We don't really know when somewhere probably between 50,000 and 80,000 years ago, this cognitive revolution where suddenly we moved from brains to minds, where we could actually, unlike the beavers or the deer, we could actually imagine things. And then we see in all the archaeological digs, tools and, uh, and uh, artisan work and, and agriculture boom out of, out of uh, the imagination of human beings. And uh, yet still, we're learning every day. And we have to relearn a lot of what we were taught in primary school because, you know, I've learned now that History was really written by the victors, and, and there's a lot that really uh, needs to be reexamined in terms of who and what we are and, uh, and uh, what we've become um, through uh, the historical data, which were now going beyond folklore and stories, et cetera, et cetera, and really digging into the history yeah. of humankind. David, this was a absolute pleasure. I've interviewed a ton of people, and this was about as much fun as I can have. So you are an amazing, uh, you're an amazing storyteller, and your your voice is amazing. And I just had a, I had an absolute blast. So thank you so much for coming on. Any any parting uh, piece of advice for the listeners, if if maybe they're on the fence about trying this. Um. I, I, I really I really don't know what to say about people on the fence because uh, I can understand being on the fence about it. Sure. Uh, but I've also found that the more and more reading I do, uh, and, you know, I hardly read as much as Mr. Gates, but uh, the more and more I recognize the possibility of improbability mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and just trying to, as one of my friends at MIT calls it, uh, staying in lifelong kindergarten uh, so that I will never become too solid in uh, beliefs that I don't have to hold on to. So uh, I continue to remain open and continue to be, uh, as all of us should be in terms of the data, and also being able to explore 
our own uh, sensibilities through art and poetry and painting and music uh, because we human beings created all of that and there's just a wealth of inspiration to be found there sure well thank you so much david thanks for sharing your seems like this is kind of your secret weapon intentional (laughs) dreaming and for to share that with the world is very cool and i just can't thank you enough so thank you so much hey matt and thank you very much for having me on i really appreciate it you got it and i'll be listening okay great thanks again Hey guys, it's Matt again. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed making um, that episode and speaking with David. He's amazing. I will link to the article. Um, Go to the article and leave a comment if you um, want to ask David anything or just let him know what you think of the article. And also I'll link to my website if you're interested in uh, learning more about me or connecting with me. And uh, until next time, thank you so much for listening and uh, make it a great day.